Oh, good morning. It's good to have you here. Uh, before we look into the Bible, now, I'm, I'm going to really push you this morning. Because you have to actually have your finger in two different passages this morning. But they're pretty close. And each one is only, one's about two verses and the other one's about four verses. So we'll be okay. But, but one's at the end of Ephesians and one's at the end of Colossians. So I'm going to have you go back and forth between two passages. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you're not prepared? <laughs> I've been in ministering long enough to be able to share a lot of war stories <laughs> where things weren't prepared quite well. Um, and I was thinking, I couldn't help but thinking about with the wedding this weekend, about some of my wedding experiences over the years. Um, Remember one time I was asked to come out to do a wedding out in the Midwest, and I didn't know the church I was going to be at. I only knew the couple. Got out there, and they were renting another church, and it was a total fiasco. We didn't know who the sound guy was, didn't know how to open the doors. The bride's crying and weeping. And I'm, I'm saying, oh, it'll all be fine, under my breath, thinking, God, like, I have no idea how this thing's ever going to come together, you know. But there just wasn't sufficient preparation. Did a wedding once in South Carolina. And normally you have to get what's called reciprocity. Because I'm, a, I'm ordained in Pennsylvania and Jersey. But I'm not ordained in South Carolina. So you have to get a notary public and the whole thing. The whole thing. Well, it was no problem. Because the couple said, just come down and give the challenge. There's an elderly gentleman that will do everything else. I said, okay, fine. So he'll sign everything. Yeah, fine, fine. Okay, take it. So I got down there, went through the wedding rehearsal, which was a fiasco in itself, but I just was quiet about the whole thing. We got to the wedding, and it was up on a hill. It was a beautiful area. Unfortunately, it rained, but it was up in the mountains. It was a very nice area. And the dear gentleman that was supposed to be officiating never showed up. He just never came. I guess he had the wrong time, day. I don't know. I don't know. We just we did rehearsal the night before, but anyway. And so we are just, at the last minute, people say, well, Doug, you got to do the whole thing. Okay, now, what's the order of service? You know, I'm trying to reel through. I'm saying, I don't, I don't even have reciprocity. And so we found, by God's grace, there was a, a notary public that came to the service, and we were able to do it at the last minute, and praise the Lord, we, and it all came up. But I just went back, and I told my wife, man, I am checking it. The next time I do one of these things, man, I want to know what everybody's doing at every point, like major preparation. But it's important, isn't it, for a wedding that we're prepared. How about for evangelism? How do we prepare to evangelize, to, to gospelize? And so I thought about that these last couple weeks. Then I started reading and thinking about the Apostle Paul. In both Ephesians and Colossians, the two passages we want to look at, that's why I had you go to those two books. You're probably familiar with the fact that Paul had been in prison for two years in Caesarea near Jerusalem. And then he ended up going to Rome and he was in Rome for two years in prison. He was released for a period of time, later captured again and killed. But it was his first time that he went to Rome that he was going to appear before Nero. And while he's there, 
before he actually appears before Nero, he writes a series of books that we call the prison epistles. And in two of them, Ephesians and Colossians, at the end, he asks the people to do some things that will help him prepare to give the gospel to Nero. Because one of the things you're going to find out, I mean, James is exactly right when he read that text in Romans chapter 1. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. But that doesn't mean he wasn't afraid. Because he's going to raise that very issue in these books. So, Paul. How do you recommend that we prepare to gospelize? Paul will tell us, and in telling us how the Ephesians and the Colossians can help in that whole process, we learn how we can also prepare to gospelize. So if you won't mind having your fingers in two places, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18 to 20. And Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 to 6. And if you were in Sunday school, um, in my class today, remember I gave you a handout on both of those passages. So all you have to do is pull out the handout and you will be all set. You don't even have to flip back and forth. You'll be all ready for that thing. So Paul, how do we do it? Let me, let me just read through both passages because they're not long. And then uh, come back and kind of unpack them together. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on behalf, on my behalf. That utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For which I am an ambassador in chains. That in proclaiming it I may speak boldly. As I ought to speak. And it was so important to Paul. That he didn't just say that to the Ephesians. Writing about the same time he says something similar but complementary. To the Colossians. Look at Colossians chapter 4. And verse 2. Paul says this. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Praying at the same time for us as well, that God may open to us a door for the word, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have been imprisoned, in order that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders. Make the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace. Season as it were with salt. So that you may know how you should respond to each person. Paul. How do we prepare to evangelize? And I would say Paul would say to us basically two things. State that, explain it, and we'll be done. The first thing Paul would say is, you have to pray about the gospel. 
Notice the, 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 the language he uses here in both. And I know you have to flip back and forth. But Paul didn't put this together, so sorry. You know, I mean, what, what, what can I tell you? But li- listen, listen to what he said. And, and, and he, here's what, what you're going to find. And it's going to be part of my appeal to you at the end. Um, this is not a solo prayer, is it? So this doesn't just mean that Doug, in the quietness of his moment, prays to God. Now, he does that. But it also means I see Phil, and I talk to Phil, and I say, Phil, will you pray for me specifically about this situation and gospelizing this particular individual? Will you do that for me? And so that he then is in a covenant with me to pray. So Paul is not just saying, look, I'm the apostle who needs help. Paul is saying, will you pray with us? In the spirit, we, 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 we need the spirit to prompt us. We need the spirit to bring specific people to mind. We need his power. We need the spirit through the entire process. So Paul says, pray about the gospel. Pray together. And, and, and don't just do it haphazardly. Notice the words he uses. Persevere in prayer. Being alert in it with thanksgiving. Praying at all times with all prayers and supplications. And keeping watch in this very thing with all perseverance and supplication. Do you get it? Paul's saying this isn't like you just get up and say, you know. I think maybe I'll pray this week. Now, Paul's saying, you should pray the way you breathe. And, 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 and you're just, you, you have this deep recognition that, look, we, we are in spiritual warfare. He's just finished that in Ephesians 6. We are in spiritual warfare, and the time is short. And we got to pray together by the power of the Spirit aggressively, intentionally, proactively and stay at it and stay at it and stay at it because Paul says, you're not going to be able to cut it on your own. You're just not. So pray about the gospel in the spirit together continually with great passion. That convicts me. I have to tell you that convicts me. One of my kids gets sick, sick, man, I know how to pray. Oh, baby, I can pray. You can too, can't you? Something happens to my mate, man, I'm all over prayer. But it's frankly easy for me to get up and think about what I have to do during the day and what did Sherry want me to pick up on the way home? And you know what I mean? Just a whole list of different things. And to forget that this is God's world, that God's son has died for, and Satan will do anything he can to keep people from hearing it. And he wants me to be prepared. He wants me to be praying with you together, passionately, spirit-led, about the gospel. In particular, he prays this. Notice both in Colossians and Ephesians. He first of all prays that God will give him the opportunity to speak the gospel. You may want to write some of this stuff down because I'll tell you why. I hope maybe you'll use it as a checklist. 
So if I'm supposed to be praying about the gospel, what specifically am I supposed to be praying about? Well, notice what he says here in Colossians 4. I'm sorry, um, in, in Colossians 4, 3. Praying at the same time concerning us in order that God might open for us a door for the word. Why not tomorrow morning when you get up? Pray, God, will you give me an opportunity today? Maybe it's at a gas station. Maybe it's with a coworker. Maybe it's a phone call from an extended family member. God, God, give me an opportunity to preach the gospel, to speak the gospel. Can I tell you this? If you're praying for me, I'd be happy for you to get up tomorrow morning and say, will you, Lord, would you please give Finkbeiner more opportunities than he possibly knows what to do with? I would love it for you to do that. What if we were all praying that for each other? Lord, inundate Tim Huff so he can't get any of his work done, give him so many opportunities. That's a good thing. It's a good thing. Pray about the gospel. Specifically, pray that God will give you an opportunity to speak the gospel. Secondly, Pray that God will give you the ability to speak the gospel in three ways. First, according to Colossians 4, 4, that you might speak it clearly. He says, on account of which I have been bound, in order that I might manifest it as it is necessary for me to speak. Do you worry about being clear with the gospel? I think we all do. I mean, one of our great fears is, what if I blow it? And what I would say is this. Do your part. Know the plan of salvation. Have a way to do it. And p- different people do it different ways, don't they? It's all Jesus. Some people like to go to one passage. I'm going to go to Ephesians 2. Verses 1 to 10, and I'm just going to talk right through that passage because it tells, gives me the bad news before it gives me the good news. Go for it. It's a great passage. I'm just going to do John 3.16. Go for it. I'm going to do the Romans road. Great. You say, I'm going to pull back and tell them the story of creation, the fall. Fine, fine. Just get Jesus into all of it, his death, burial, and resurrection. So whatever you choose, do your part, but don't allow this idea because Satan will want you to say, you're not, you don't know quite enough to say anything. Do not listen to that. And you go before God and you say, God, give me the ability to speak your word clearly. Don't be surprised what he will do. Secondly, God, give me the ability not only to speak your, your gospel clearly, Colossians 4, 4, but God, help me to do it wisely. Ephesians 6, beginning of verse 19, and Paul says, and pray on behalf of me in order that a word may be given to me in opening my mouth. I was talking with Ruth last night. We had gone over to the Huffs for a, a pastor's meeting and, and be, before we all got together Ruth was talking and she was, she was sharing she was saying you know I was at work this week and they connected me up with a, a dentist or an oral surgeon or something that I don't normally connect up with 
And, and for whatever reason, I, I think it's because he obviously knew Ruth as a believer. He just walked by her and said, walked down and said, you know, there is no God. And just kind of kept walking. And Ruth said, wow. Like that, I was just like whacked out of nowhere. Where'd that come from? You know? And, and so every time he kind of, they were doing some work, she was helping when, when they would be outside away from the patient, he'd make another comment. You know, comment. And so she, she said, my mind was just reeling. Lord, Lord, not only do I want to be clear, but I want to be wise. Help me to be wise to know how to enter into this conversation. Don't you worry about the, kind of the, the word in? And what I would say is, folks, pray about it. God, help me not only to be clear in the gospel, give me an in. I want to be wise and appropriate the way I get into that thing. Paul's very practical, isn't he? And, and wouldn't you think, like, what would he need any help with that for? He's the apostle Paul. He's writing scripture, for heaven's sakes. And he says, help me to be clear and help me be wise. Wow. Because he's human. We fear, we forget, we do all those things. We pray the gospel together in the spirit, passionately. God, give me opportunities. God, give me the ability to be clear, to be wise in getting into that conversation. And in, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 19b, and God, give me the ability to be bold to be bold. So he says there, so as to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. Does boldness mean no fear? Uh-uh. It just means there's something bigger than our fear. Doesn't it? I only have met a couple people in my life that when they evangelize, it doesn't seem like they're ever afraid. Tim, you remember Bob Templeton? He's kind of one of those guys. I, I, a couple of people in my life, it's just like, he just, he's into Jesus talk with whoever he meets, and it's so natural and it's so easy. And when I'm around him, it drives me crazy. Like, why does he do that so quick, easily? Because that's not me. And Paul says, I'm afraid. James, the guy that said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Mm -hmm. He says, I got afraid. I'm just going to be standing before Nero. You know, he's pretty powerful. <laughs> Roman emperor, tribunal, the whole works. He says, look, please pray with me. I want to be appropriate in the way I could come into it. I want to be clear, but I want to be bold. More than I'm afraid of Nero, more than I'm afraid of what he might do to me, I want to be consumed with your greatness and your love. It's a great way to pray, isn't it? God, God, help us to be clear, wise, and bold. So Paul, how do we pray? Paul would say, pray that God will give you the opportunity to speak. Pray that God will give you the ability to speak clearly, wisely, boldly. Thirdly, Paul says, pray that God will remind us of the necessity 
to speak. Look at Ephesians 6.20. Paul says, I do this so that I may make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel on behalf of which I am an ambassador in chains. Isn't that an oxymoron? Ambassadors don't come in chains, do they? Not supposed to. Do you know any representatives from foreign countries that come to New York City for the UN or, or, or in Washington, D.C., and we, we chain them? No, we send them home. But this is a different kind of ambassadorship. God, he says, in order that I may speak boldly, on behalf of which I am an ambassador in chains, in order that I may speak boldly as it is necessary for me to speak. And Paul says this. Wherever I find myself, it could be in a dungeon. It could be in the marketplace. It could be in a home. It could be in a teaching setting. It doesn't matter where it is. Paul says, wherever I find myself, I am an ambassador. I am compelled by God himself to be his witness and representative to this group for his glory. Do you know that's true of you, if you know Jesus Christ? You are an ambassador. You may say, I'm the only Christian at my workplace. That may be true. You're an ambassador there then. Doug, you don't know my extended family. I don't. I, I don't. I, maybe I do, but I probably don't. You're an ambassador there too. Wherever you find yourself, and we pray in our prayers, God, help me never to forget that gospelizing is not an option for me. I may treat it like an option, but it's not an option. It should be a compulsion because everyone in here knows Jesus Christ has been commissioned to go out and, and speak to people about Jesus Christ. So what I love about this text, these two texts, is they're very, very, very practical. How do we prepare for evangelism? We pray about the gospel. With passion, together, in the spirit, God, give me opportunity. God, give me the, the ability to be clear and to be bold and to be wise. God, help me to realize that this is not an option. This is a requirement because I am privileged to be your ambassador. Is that it, Paul? That's it? Just pray about it? Paul says, no, 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 no. I have one other word of advice for you. Not only... Pray about the gospel. Secondly, Paul would say, live the gospel. Look at what he says in Colossians 4, verses 5 and 6. This is only in Colossians. You don't have to pop back and forth anymore. It says, walk in wisdom toward those outside, redeeming the time. Live the gospel both in your conduct, verse 5, and in your conversation, verse 6. What, what, does, what, does, what does he leave out? Nothing, <laughs> right? So Paul says, I want you to covenant together as a group to pray about the gospel. And I want you by God's grace and through his spirit and by his strength to move into this world and to live out the gospel. So he says, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Um, 
years ago, when we lived in a 100-year-old home across from apartment complex, it was a really interesting kind of setting, all kinds of ministry opportunities, for sure. My kids were young, and um, if you're like me, um, my kids don't bat a thousand as children growing up. I mean, you know, there's, there's always issues you know, that you're always working on, working on. You know, I got six of them running around. And um, we, we, had, we had a bunch of neighbors, and I remember one of our neighbors, Glenn and Sandy, wonder, really kind, wonderful people, and they, they would watch our family, which is a little bit scary, frankly, isn't it? I mean, like, what are they going to see? And you always, you always praise God because they didn't see the things that you were hoping they didn't see, right? I mean, you know what I'm saying, right? We, we, we were all kind of there. And, and one of the things we tried to do, because we were just praying, God, Use us to bring Glenn and Sandy to faith in you. We don't know what that looks like or what that'll mean. So we'll, we'll be nice to them. We'll invite them in. How far do we push? Do I see them and say, hey, you're going to hell. I mean, like, what, what do I do? Like, you know, you, you wrestle with that stuff. Right? Well, I didn't do that. Okay, I didn't do that. But, but, you know, when do you kind of push? When do you pull back? That whole kind of thing. And they eventually became believers. And, 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 and actually, they, they moved out of our neighborhood and then they came back and they said, we've trusted Christ, which was just incredible. And one of the things they say, you know, just watching your children and the way they live their lives. And I was going like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, really? That, my kids? You know, kind of a thing. And, 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 and it reminded me that wherever I find myself, I'm a missionary. Suppose you and your family were sent somewhere, India, or Africa, or South America, whatever continent. Would you not go into that community that you were living in with a real sense of we have to live out our faith in such a way that people see what it means to live the gospel? Wouldn't you, wouldn't you naturally think that way? I mean, that's what we would tell missionaries. Look, if you're going there, you're going there to represent Jesus, man. So you go there and you, you live what you really believe and you show them what the gospel looks like in life by the way you love one another and all that kind of stuff. And we go, yeah, 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 yeah. Is it any different for you? It shouldn't be. Every one of us are missionaries. The neighborhood you live in right now, God puts you there for a reason. And he wants you to be light in the midst of darkness. And he wants you to pray as a family. And he wants you to think and strategize as a family. And ask yourself as a family. How can we show people what it means to be people of the gospel? I have to tell you that's kind of convicting. Because sometimes I have neighbors that are pain, are pain in the neck. Don't you? And sometimes I want to just say like. Could it be. That the God who has graced me in the person of his son and done his work in my life wants me to know what it means to extend that same kind of mercy to that person out there. So that he can see something he's never seen before because he's always been involved with neighbors who have just shunned him and pushed him off. And here's this one guy who actually just keeps loving him even though he's an absolute pain in the neck. Yeah. 
Paul says, live the gospel. You believe it. You've accepted Christ. Let that change the way you live so that when you interact with neighbors and coworkers, they can say, they may say you're weird. Fair enough. But they're going to say, he or she has something that I don't. So it's not just my conduct, but it's my words. Look at verse 6. Let your speech be always with grace, having been seasoned with salt, so as to know how you ought to respond to each one. You know what that is? That's the gospel at work, isn't it? What happens if I'm at work? A coworker comes up to me and says, uh, you know, Bill... It's a blankety blank, 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 and he's dead, dead, dead. It's just going off and off. I can do a couple things. I can say, you're right. Maybe humanly speaking, it's true. Or I can say, that is wrong to gossip like that. I could do that too, I suppose. And maybe there's times when that, something like that strong might be appropriate. I don't know. Or maybe... My words could be gracious words seasoned with salt. So what I say is, yeah, you know, I can see he struggles. I struggle. And I have found that Jesus has made all the difference. My words are words of grace seasoned with salt of optimism. Do you see? And Paul says, how do you prepare to evangelize? <laughs> Pray the gospel. Pray the gospel together. About all the details that's, that you fear and worry about. And by his grace, begin to live it out. In your words, in your conduct. And watch and see what God does. Will you do me a favor? Will you think seriously this week about covenanting, covenant, covenanting together with somebody else about evangelizing? You say, well, can I do it with my mate? That's fine. I'll take it. Be wonderful. In preparation for talking about this, Sherry and I were talking and saying, you know, we have got to get even more strategic. We're in a new neighborhood. We believe God has put us there. What does it mean for us to try to evangelize those people? We have got to covenant together to pray. So I'm happy if you do that. But would you consider something else? Would you consider holding yourself accountable to another brother or sister here in the chapel? Pray the gospel. And in your praying, say, help me to live the gospel. Let it consume us. I'm telling you, folks, watch what God does. Amen. Father.